In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God. I sent you a file, <coughs> eight pages or nine pages, a few days ago. I'm not sure if all of you read it or got it at least. So maybe in two or three uh, weeks, we are going to revisit what we have said last week in, briefly. So today we will speak about holy tradition and the free will, and maybe next week we will speak about the holy tradition and the grace, and then everyone always has many questions about Romans chapter 9. So one, at one session we will discuss only Romans chapter 9, how many of the reformers using it as an excuse to say there is no free will, it's only by grace and by grace alone. Okay. So we'll start today by a very confusing statement by John Kelvin. You know, he has a very famous book, it's three volumes, The Institutes of the Christian Church, in which he rebuilt the mind of the church or the mind of the reformers. So here, what he said in book 2, chapter 2 and section 2. Moreover, although the Greek fathers, about others, and especially Christophe, have exceeded due bounds in extolling the powers of the human will. Yet all ancient theologians, with the exception of Augustine, are so confused, vacillating and contradictory on this subject, that no certainty can be obtained from their writings. This is the mind of one of the strongest reformers at the time, and definitely he was the base of his own theology is based on this section. Again, he's quoting with the exception of St. Augustine. As we spoke last week, only St. Augustine, or through St. Augustine, this idea started to creep into the church, and including, of course, Celestius, his disciple. We'll see today how this statement is a confusing statement. It's not true at all. We'll read from the New Testament, we'll read from the first century, from the second century, and onward. Most of the church father quotes are in, in the file that I sent you a few days ago, but we'll share a few of them today to see how this is not true, but it's well known in the whole minds of any reformers, or even if you are in a spiritual book written by a reformer, this is at the back of his mind at all times. So we'll start from the background. There are many, many, many verses in the Bible, but we'll, I will choose only three examples to see how God is showing us both options are available for us. First one in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7 to 9, St. Paul says that in the ages to come, He might choose the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is very common verses, and very known as well by most of the reformers that are using it to say, it's by grace and by grace alone. Just next verse immediately, <clears throat> verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So St. Paul was telling us the reality, but in its fullness. I said this before last week maybe, and let me repeat it once more. <clears throat> there is the year 412, as we spoke last week. No one in the church history separated between grace and free will, or grace or work, 
progress and warfare. Everyone in the church, as we'll see in a few minutes, we're seeing it as one thing. If you receive the grace, you are walk, walking in the newness of life. If you are walking in the newness of life, it means you have received the grace. And there is no separation. This separation started only from St. Augustine in the beginning of the 5th century until today. As maybe I shared with you a few weeks ago as well, this debate we never shared in it in any way or another. But the reality is, we receive always the end product. Any spiritual book you read, written by a reformer, this is at the back of his mind. We are not saying here who is good or who is bad, but we are trying to find what is authentic more than anything else. So any book, or any even preacher, is giving me this impression that we have two things. One called grace, and one called free will, and uh, uh, good works, and there is a problem between both of them, then there is something wrong. So we need to focus always that the church mind from the beginning having one thing. It's the newness of life, it's receiving the grace and interacting positively and uh, in due time to receive this new creation. So if I said I received the grace but I'm not created a new creation, then it's a lie. If I said I receive the grace and I'm a new creation, but in the same time I have no plans and nothing has been prepared for me, it's another lie. St. Paul was telling us everything has been prepared for everyone to walk in them by our free will to choose to walk in them. Please open your Bibles if you, until it works. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 29 St. Paul to show us that we have a free will we can say yes and we can say no he's telling us it's not only that the grace you receive you can reject the grace you can insult even the spirit of grace if you open with me Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 29 St. Paul says of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. And insulted the Spirit of grace. So we can insult the Spirit of grace by doing such things, by rejecting the grace, by not cooperating actively. It's not, it's not a song about the grace that we have received grace. It's how we received it and we acted positively and actively upon each gift of this grace. This is the first example, St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. Second one, please open with me, Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. could be at the beginning as his divine power given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust 
So again, at the very beginning, St. Peter is telling us, Now, I know how weak you are, but you will be well equipped from the beginning. His divine power has given us everything that pertains to life and goodness. And this will enable me to be a partaker of His divine nature. All these are gifts given to me. Then I will be able to flee from the corruption of this world. If you continue to chapter, same chapter, verse 5 to 7, we'll find a big list of do. He's telling me, but also for this very reason, which very reason, that you have been given everything through His divine power, you are now a partaker of His divine nature, now you are able to escape from the corruption of this world, for this, for also for this very reason, giving all diligence, at your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, and so on. These are good works. I cannot do them without verse 3 and 4. To be a partaker of His divine nature, His divine power is working on me, now I can escape from the corruption of the world. So we'll find always St. Peter, St. Paul, all the New Testament, telling us first you have to be equipped with the grace, and then we'll respond, you're going to respond positively and actively with this grace. So St. Paul said so, and St. Peter, St. Paul said the same thing nearly in Philippians chapter 2. Again, we are trying to refute what John Calvin said, that the church was confused. We see that the New Testament was not confused, there is a free will, but first we have to receive the grace and then to act positively with it. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Something I'm going to do, based on what? With fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do. So, at the beginning, God is giving us something different. Who works in us both to will and to do. Without both of them, they can do nothing. And then he's going for good pleasure, for his good pleasure, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Again, holding fast the word of life, that he might not be labored in vain. So we receive something first, God who works both to you to, to will and to do. Then I'm working out my own salvation. So it's always cooperative. Grace first, and then we are cooperating with Here I would like to add one small thing. It's saying, you both to well and to do. When our daily warfare, when we think that the well is static, when we feel that I have a bad well or weak well and you have a stronger one, the devil is trying to deceive us that now you will remain, you will remain all your life in this weakness. But St. Paul is telling us the well here is the verb, not noun. It's always active. The grace is working on it. God is working on it. And by your cooperation, you will be able to be victorious in whatever you have. One more example, Titus chapter 3, and verse 5 to 7. Not by works of righteousness. Again, he is St. Paul in Romans, and in Titus and Ephesians, 
he was falsifying the good works that has no face behind or has no grace behind. So not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that have been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, he didn't stop at this point. Yes, being justified by his grace. Immediately, next verse. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Based on what? They have been justified by grace. These things are good and profitable to men, but avoid foolish disputes. And the whole list is do and don't do. But based on what? What you have received. You have been justified by His grace. So we'll find the whole list. And there's, yani, I'm not saying hundreds, but there's tens of examples as such in the Bible. But let me share with you now the first few centuries. How the church fathers were telling us that this is the belief of the church. We have always a free will and we have always the ability to say yes and to say no. We can insult the spirit of grace as St. Paul would say. Starting from St. Clement of Rome, he is a disciple of St. Peter. For no other reason does God banish the sinners either in the present or future world except because he knows that the sinner was able to conquer but neglected to gain the victory. <coughs> this is at the very end of the first century. They believe that man has a free will and he can say yes to grace or he can refuse to cooperate with God's grace. So again we are putting in our mind the claim of John Calvin that the early church, the Greek fathers, were confused and they were not certain, which is a big lie and as we'll see more goes down. Ignatius of Antioch was a disciple of St. Paul, sorry, St. Peter and St. John. Most of the historians said he lived 30 years with St. John, the evangelist. And there is set before us life upon our observance of God's precepts. But this as a result of disobedience. And everyone, according to the choice he makes, shall go to his own place. So I have a free will. I have a choice to make. As we discussed maybe two weeks ago, half men the commercials. That's the backbone of the reformers is uh, what they call it the sovereignty of God which means there is no free will at all because you don't have a free will and God is sovereign he can do whatever he wants he can send anyone to hell it doesn't matter if he wants to do it or not <laughs> and the same thing in the other side he can send anyone to heaven or to his paradise without any choice of a man because there is no nothing called free will for them.
one very famous quote, I told you last week, Center uh, illustrates four books under the title Against Heresy. This is from book four and chapter four, paragraph three. Again, he was commenting. He was commenting on the verse when the Lord was saying, How often would I have gathered the children together, and thou willest not. Let me read the quote of St. Irenaeus. It's also in your uh, PDF file that I sent you. This expression of our Lord, How often would I have gathered thy children together, and thou wouldest not, set forth the ancient law of human liberty. St. Irenaeus lived from the year 120 to 202. So again, we have from 99, and then have Ignatius, who martyred 109, and now someone just closer to them. Irenaeus, as we shared maybe first week, he was a disciple of Polycarp, and he said he remembered very well where he sits, what he said, and how he said it as well. Set forth the ancient law of human liberty because God made man a free agent from the beginning, possessing his own power, even as he does his own soul, to obey the besets of God voluntarily and not by compulsion of God. For there is no coercion with God, but a good will is present with him continually. And therefore, does he give good counsel to all? and in, in man as well as in angels, so that those who had yielded obedience might justly possess what, the, uh, what is good given indeed by God. So he is reassuring us from the beginning. That in the end I'm going to be rewarded either good or bad. Based on what? On my own free will. Based on what? Based that he from the beginning created me with the law of human liberty. So again, first century, the Bible was telling us that we have a free will. The church father from the first century and second century were saying that the man was created with free will. There's a lot of lists of third and fourth century until now, of course. And Clement of Alexander, at the very end of the second century, was saying the same. To obey or not to obey is in our own power. We have a free will. We can say yes or no. Provided we do not have the excuse of ignorance. That's why the main role of the church is to teach. Then by my own free will, I can say yes or no. But the problem is when I am out of ignorance, I am believing something else. As John Calvin was saying, the whole Europe believed what Calvin said, what Martin Luther said in his book, The Bondage of the World at the, uh, of the World at the Time, because they believed in them before believing what they have said. Again, Miletus of Sardis, at the very end of the second century, there is therefore nothing to hinder you from changing your evil manner of life because you are a free man. I'm not going to add a lot on this point, but we need to focus one thing on one thing, that I have the total freedom to choose whatever I can do. And by cooperating with His grace, 
am able to achieve the potential that I was created for. The church is teaching us in day one, when we were baptized, we received the full potential of a new man. Then all my life, I'm trying to achieve as much as I can of this full potential. This is the mind of St. Cyril the Great and St. Gregory of Sinai. We are telling us from the beginning you have the full potential. As we read in First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1 a few minutes ago, for his divine power has given us everything that pertains to life and goodness. And now I'm in the process of achieving what I have received from day one. So the church from the beginning and God in his love to us from the beginning has given us everything. And now it's time to enjoy the fullness of what we have received. Again, as we said a few minutes ago, we didn't share in this debate, but we received the end products in a sermon, in a book, in a TV program, telling us it's only by grace. There is no free will. All what you need to do is to believe. Yes, I need to believe definitely. But without cooperation with this faith or with this grace, I'm going to receive nothing. This is my uh, 